It's not long now, obviously, until Easter. And, uh, and if you come to our Good Friday service, um, it will no doubt be a, a bit of a, a somber service. Our Good Friday services are generally a, a bit more somber, but it's because the crucifixion of Jesus Christ um, was horrible. Um, the sad thing is sometimes we underplay just how bad it was on Good Friday for our Saviour. Um, you may not like the film, but something like The Passion of the Christ seeks to redress the balance of a kind of sanitized salvation that some Christians have a view of. He was nailed to a lump of wood, hoisted up until he died so that we could live forever. And I want to read to you um, a description of Good Friday, starting with Good Friday morning right up until Jesus' final breath. Um, The story so far is he's been taken from the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday. He's been betrayed by his best, or one of his best friends, if you like, Judas. And this is early in the morning on Good Friday. So this is a description uh, of the cross of Christ. It's early in the morning. Jesus, battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, was taken across Jerusalem to the Praetorium to the other side. It was there in response to the cries of the mob that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. The preparations for the scourging were carried out. The prisoner was stripped of his clothes. His hands were tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire stepped forward with the whip in his hand. The whip was a short whip uh, which consisted of leather strips which had balls of lead at the end and glass and bone in them. The heavy whip was brought down on Jesus' back again and again and again, not just on his back but on his shoulders and his legs. At first the whip would have only cut through the skin, but then as the blows continued they would have cut deeper and deeper and there would have been oozing blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin finally spurting arterial blood from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead would have first produced deep bruises, which would have then been broken by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of his back would have been hanging in long ribbons and the entire area unrecognisable, a mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it was determined by the centurion that the prisoner was nearly dead, they would have stopped only then. The half-fainting Jesus would have been untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet from his own blood. The Roman soldiers saw it as a great joke to take this provincial Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe over his shoulders. They place a stick in his hand as a scepter. A small bundle of branches covered with long thorns are made into a crown and driven into his scalp. Because of the way the head is made up, blood poured down his face. After mocking him and striking him in the face again and again, they take the stick from his hand and hit him with that, driving the thorns deeper into his head. Finally, when they tire of their sadistic sport, the robe is torn from his back. By then it had already stuck to him as the blood began to clot from his wounds. As it was removed, it would have felt like it had been whipped all over again. A heavy beam was then placed on his shoulders, tied there, and he was processed in humiliation with lots of other people all the way to Golgotha. The weight of the heavy wooden beam would have been too much. His human muscle was pushed beyond exhaustion, and he stumbles and falls. At Golgotha, that beam would be placed on the ground. Jesus, 
uh, would have been quickly thrown backwards, his shoulders pushed against the wood of the cross. The legionnaire would have felt for the depression in the wrist. And over there he would drive heavy, square, wrought iron nails through the wrist and through the wood of the cross. He quickly would move to the other side and repeat the same procedure, careful not to pull the arms too tight to allow some movement and flexibility. The beam would have been then lifted high into the air with the uh, notice above saying, King of the Jews. The left foot would have been taken and pressed against the right foot with the toes pointing down. Another large nail driven through the arches of both feet at the same time into the cross, crushing the nerves and the tendons and the metatarsal bones as they went through. As his arms fatigued, great waves of cramp would have swept over his muscles, knotting them deep in relentless throbbing pain. With those cramps would have come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, his pectoral muscles would have been unable to act. Air could not be drawn into the lungs, or it could be drawn in, but it could not be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up and their bloodstream and cramps partially subside and spasmodically he is able to push himself up and exhale for one life-giving breath of oxygen. Hours of limitless pain and the cycle of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down the cross. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain in his chest as his heart begins to compress. The compressed heart struggles to pump thick, sluggish blood around his tissues and his body. Tortured legs make one frantic effort to gasp one more time as he feels the chill of death creep through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his leg and takes a deep breath and utters his seventh and last cry. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It's tough to hear. It's tough to imagine. It's tough to go through if you were the son of God. Imagine being the son of God. Imagine being the king of kings. Imagine being the one that watched the universe come from nothing, to be there, to be part of it, to be the one whom the universe was made for and through and by, and yet be dragged, nailed to a cross. Imagine being that person and dying like that. So let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus do it? Well, if you've listened to the last three talks, you might say he did it so that we could have everlasting life. He did it so that we could be sure that we're saved. He did it so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Of course, you'd be correct. But why did he go to the cross in the first place? Well, let me tell you why Jesus went to the cross. In John 3, 16, we read that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that verse tells us what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ and that you don't perish you live everlasting life but the very beginning of that verse it tells us why Jesus Christ went to the cross in the first place because God so loved the world Christ died 
because God's nature, the living God's character, is to show compassion, love, mercy and grace. Last week we spoke about salvation from our sin. We likened it to the rescue of those Chilean miners. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you remember. Um, but those Chilean miners, those 33, were trapped underground a mile or half a mile underground. They could not rescue themselves, we said. It didn't matter how good they were, how pious they were, how religious they were. They couldn't get out. They had to be rescued. Someone had to come down from the top to dig them out. And we likened that to the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago that he comes down from heaven to earth to dig us out of our sin, dig us out of our hopelessness and our death. He rescues us because we could not rescue ourselves. We talked about the ladder, how some people believe you can climb up to where God is if you're good enough. And we said, that's rubbish. The ladder's upside down in Christianity. It's not that we climb up to God. God climbs down to us through Jesus Christ. But the cause of that rescue, if we go back to the Chilean miners, the reason those 33 were rescued from that pit, from that terrible situation, was because the rescuers had something in them that said, we will not rest until they are free. Salvation comes to us because God is the same. God's character is a character of mercy and love and grace and a character that says, I will do whatever it takes to offer salvation to my creation, humanity. His character is one of grace and love. Psalm 84 verse 11 says this, says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. That verse tells us that God is a good God and he loves to give honour and he loves to bestow favour on people, to give his unmerited love and favour on the human race. The Bible describes our God as a God of grace and it teaches over and over and over that the salvation we talk about every single Sunday and a thank God for every day I hope comes to us because of the grace in his character first and foremost. Easter wasn't some mechanical process that we can sign up to to live forever. It was the action of a loving God who in his mercy and his grace just had to send his son to go through all that just so you could be in heaven. He loved you so much that he just had to send his son so that you would have the chance to be rescued from your sin. We're going down uh, our acronym of the word Easter and, uh, and today's letter is T. Uh, you may have been wondering what the T stood for. A few of you had a go. Um, you were all wrong. Um, it stands for the gift. Um, and then in brackets, grace. <laughs> and that's just how I got to the word eventually. Um, but we're looking at grace, the grace of the living God. And it's an amazing concept to think about because our salvation comes via the grace of God. The word grace, when we talk about grace as Christians, we're talking about the unmerited favour of the living God. That God offers you his favour and you don't deserve it. It's unmerited. That's what grace is. In Jesus, human beings can experience the unmerited favour of the living God. Oh yeah, that's nice, isn't it? 
We move on far too quickly from this sort of stuff. You get to experience the unmerited favour of the living God. Not just the favour of the living God. If you deserved it, that would be great in itself. But you get to experience the favour of God and you don't deserve it. It's unmerited. You've done nothing to deserve it. That's wow, isn't it? For a different sort of church, you might shout hallelujah at this point or amen. But you don't have to. It's okay. (laughs) We accept each other how we are. That's fine. But it's great news. God favours you. And you do nothing to deserve it. My aunt and uncle once gave me £300 for a new laptop. And I did nothing to deserve it. I was so blown away. I really was. I thought, wow, how great is that? And it completely uh, perked me up for for a couple of years. So if you want to perk me up for a few years... (laughs) No, no, don't. I can't be, you know... No, I don't. I'll take £200. Um, <laughs> but we can actually experience that. And this concept of grace in the Christian doctrine of God, the understanding of God through Christianity, the truth of God, I might add, um, is absolutely unique to how we talk about God. Uh, the idea that God should save someone by grace and not works is something that you will not find anywhere else on the planet doesn't matter what religion or philosophy you study you will not find the concept of salvation by grace it is a christian concept because it is a true concept revealed through jesus christ it is something unique that salvation only in christianity do we understand that salvation isn't through appeasing god but through just his grace reaching down and rescuing us the idea that god should save us uh, at all is fantastic But the idea that God should rescue us is amazing. But that he did it not because of anything we'd done, but because of his grace, his love and his mercy is simply beautiful. Simply beautiful. And when you see acts of unmerited grace or favour in the world, it humbles you, doesn't it? I heard a story from a friend of mine only this week. I was writing this very sermon and she sat down in the Café of the Angels. If you ever wonder what I'm doing on a Thursday morning in the Café of the Angels, I'm not having a bacon sandwich and reading the newspaper. I write my sermon there. Um, so if I have any jazz references or angels in it, you know why. Um, but I write it there and this person um, came and sat opposite me and started telling me a, a story and, uh, and she was out for a meal with her husband one day, and, uh, and she passed a, a young homeless guy, um, I forget where it was, and, uh, and as she saw him, she realized that he was the same age as her son, and she said to me, he could have been my son, and so she was heartbroken at this poor young guy living a life on the streets, and so they bought him some food, they chatted with him, and as they were chatting, stood up face to face, she felt compelled to give him a cuddle. And uh, uh, she wasn't exaggerating, I don't think, when she said to me, he smelt, he was dirty. But she couldn't stop herself, but just give him a cup. She embraced him properly, and he couldn't believe it. And at the end, he was tearful, apparently, and said, why are you being so nice to me? It was unmerited. In his eyes, it was unmerited love and favor. How wonderful is that to see in our world? How wonderful it is to know through faith in Jesus Christ at the cross. And the Christian message is that even at our lowest, even at our most dirty, our most broken, our most bad, God is like that woman. He loves us and he is gracious toward us. If we turn from our sin and we say sorry, we can experience the unmerited favour of God. This morning you may feel your absolute worst. You may have done it again you may have said it again. You may just be thinking of that thing that happened. You think, why won't it go away? I'm rubbish. 
I'm just a waste of space. That is not how God sees you. I'm not arranging my pockets. Let me tell you what I said to the kids at Youth Club on Friday night. It's time for a Youth Club talk, I think. This is the talk I did at Youth Club on Friday night. We'll do it the same. We've got time, haven't we? Okay, just put your hand up if you want this £10 note. Yeah, you've had your, you've had your opportunity. No, no, seriously, put your hand up. Be honest. If I said you can have this 10 quid, no strings attached, hands up, who wants £10 today? It's gone down. <laughs> Depreciation. Just keep your hands up if you want the £20. We're good. Imagine that you're 11 years old, just for five minutes. Just keep your hands up. Who would like 10 quid? No, obviously a lot of you are far too. Just keep your hands up. So if I did that to it, do you still want 10 quid? Good, thank you. Imagine that you're a zone child. Now, it gets a bit gross. Please don't hold this against me. Um, if I did this to it, would you still want a £10? What if I... Some of you look away. What if I went... Choo! Still want it? Keep your hand up then. I might stop. What if I... Do you still want it? Still want it? Keep your hand up then. Why? Because it's £10. And in fact, Zone 2 were, were rubbish with me, actually. But Zone 1, a little girl was sat at the front. And I said, why? And I, I took it much further. I had it up my nose in my shoe. But I didn't want to do that here. Um, and I said to this little girl, why do you still want it? She said, because it's £10. She didn't care that it had nasty stuff over it. The unmerited favour of God isn't that God doesn't see your dirt isn't that God, that, that God doesn't care about it because when you sin it offends the living God but in Christ you don't depreciate in value because of it that you can be wiped clean because of it that even at our worst up the nostrils and under the armpit even when we feel like we're just rubbish that smells God knows what we're worth and we're worth this to God but he would allow his son to go through what I described. That's impressive. I'll just stop there. Nah. Okay, we'll carry on. <laughs> so there are youth club talk on a Sunday morning. Perhaps I'll just do my youth club talks and then do them on Sunday mornings. And I can have a bacon sandwich at the cafe of the angels and relax. But this morning, you may just feel like that. You may just feel rubbish. And the world loves to say, yeah, you're right, you are rubbish. And life tells us that. And we tell ourselves that God doesn't because of his grace. So a few verses just to quickly go through this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we're talking about salvation through grace. It's salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, Chapter chapter 3, verse 10 of Romans says this statement, No one is righteous, not even one. Last week we talked about this briefly, but often as human beings we love to compare ourselves to other people. And we like to say, well, I'm good compared to. So I would say, you know, sorry, Roger. Uh, I say, no, Roger, well, he's a terrible bloke, isn't he? Look, he didn't put his hand up for the £10 I saw. And so compared to Roger, I'm better. Therefore, I'm good. He's bad. Happy days. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to say, well, this group over no, that group over there, they're horrible. Uh, I'm better than most of them. Therefore, I'm good. And therefore, we say, well, God likes good. Therefore, I'm going to go to heaven. Everything's fantastic. But the Bible never encourages us to compare ourselves to each other. We're encouraged to compare ourselves to God. Be holy as I'm holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. We're called to say, am I anywhere close to God's good? And then say, am I good? And the Bible says very clearly that when you compare yourself with a holy, perfect God, no one is righteous, not even one. In the same chapter, um, 
Sorry, I've just turned off the wrong one. In uh, chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, we reread that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it goes on to say, in verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The message of salvation is that we're forgiven by a holy God. We're made right before the holy God and that salvation is a work of grace by him. He shows us his unmerited favour even though we sin, even though we break his law by sending his son as a sacrifice for our wrong and our sin. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 9 drills it home in more detail when Paul writes... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Salvation for us came at the cross. We were redeemed. And just like um, back in the height of the slave trade. There were people that would go down to the docks in the US. And when slave ships would come in. And people were dragged off to be purchased. There would be some people that would buy five or six slaves, whoever they could afford, and they would buy them and they would say, you are free, I've bought you, I've redeemed you, you are free men or free women. At the cross, Christ redeems us, buys us from the slavery of our sin. Even though we were dead in our sin, by his grace, he has paid the price with his life to set us free. Romans 5, 6-8 says this, you see at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Not the good or the religious or the okay, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 to 7 puts it beautifully. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Brilliant is that. What a wow moment that verse is. God of love extends not just to those who want to be saved, but it extends to those who don't want to be saved, who are indifferent about salvation, and those who hate God actually as well. And I was thinking about this concept of grace and I wanted to show you some sort of video clip that might sum up uh, what the grace of God looks like in day-to-day life. And uh, I want to show you a clip now from a film uh, which is soon become, vastly becoming my favourite film. Obviously, if you want the list, it goes Airplane, obviously, Airplane 2, 
Um, naked Gun, uh, Police Academy 1, 2 and 3, the other 12 weren't very good. Then it goes Walk the Line, and then it goes this, Les Mis um, is the film. And here's a brilliant moment when um, the main character, whose name escapes me, that's why it's only seventh on the list, um, he, he comes out of prison, and a bishop takes him in, he's, he's on the streets, he's poor, he's homeless, and, uh, and he gives him shelter, they feed him, and then he steals from them. But this is what happens. Um, what, what happens is, basically, he... Uh, he goes to bed, and they've shared food with him, they've given him a bed to lay on, and uh, he's a criminal. So obviously at that time in France, um, there wasn't very much uh, grace extended to criminals. And uh, in the middle of the night, in desperation, he sees the silver uh, and the gold, and he, he just takes a bag, and he takes it all out of the cupboards, and he fills it up with everything. He takes as much as he can carry, and he goes bursting out the door into the night. Of course, as is often the case, the long arm of the law uh, grab hold of him and they recognize him and they see where he's come from and they drag him back to the bishop's house and they say, look, this man's stolen this silver from you. Um, We've caught him. Don't worry, he'll be going back to prison. Obviously, they sing this um, much better than I would. And, uh, and And then they say he had the cheek to say you gave it to him. And the bishop looks at the man and then he looks at the police and he goes over to the table where there are two giant silver lampstands uh, candlesticks and he picks them both up and he sings um, my friend you left in such a hurry you didn't take the best bits why would you leave the best and go without it and he puts them in the man's bag and he says to the policeman let him go these are a gift from us to him the police leave and then in song of course again he says to the man now this is for a higher purpose your soul has been bought for God so be a better honest man and whenever I watch that clip I just think it's brilliant and uh, go home and google it or something or watch or buy the film watch it Um, it's a great film I can lend you a dvd Um, but it's a great moment and actually when you want to see the grace of God in action it's kind of like that no film can adequately express it only the cross does but we are saved by grace that man was saved by grace his life was changed because someone showed him grace and mercy we're saved by God's love and we receive his goodness and his love even though we didn't deserve it somebody once said that God's grace meant this uh, sorry that grace means this God's um, God's goodness at Christ's expense so why did Jesus die he died to give us everlasting life he died for our assurance he died for our forgiveness but he died because of God's grace and the implications of this are massive and a couple of things I just want to leave you with as we finish the implications of this are life-changing the first number one is that this shows our true value so often we define our worth by things in our control our physique some of us lose the will to worry about that sort of thing but we some of us are obsessed with looking looking the part don't we we put makeup on I don't do that but we go for we go for as much running as we can and we want to look trim and that's good but if we're deriving your worth from how you look it's bad we derive our worth from our pension port how much we've got in the bank or what job we do um i heard a real complaint the other day uh, why is it when you go to a party the first thing you say to someone is oh hi what do you do for a living who cares who cares what you do for a living and we and, and if you haven't got a if you're not a ceo of a multinational corporation perhaps you feel a bit embarrassed you want to try being a church minister that kills a conversation every time <laughs> They say, what do you do? And I say, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and I say, I'm, I'm a minister of a church. What? <laughs> anyway. But if you, we, we 
our, our value is, is sometimes linked up in the size of our house or even our phone. It's ridiculous. Even this thing. You know, oh, I've got the latest iPhone 7. Who cares? It's out of date already. Or what job you do. Everything like that. Or maybe you derive your value from whether you're, you're fun enough. Some people long to be the life and soul of a party. I knew one guy years ago. You'll never meet him. And he was the life and soul of every party. He was that guy who was always the laugh, laugh to be around. He was fun to be around. But his girlfriend said the moment they were alone, nothing. Because all he wanted was to be known as the life and soul of the party. Not a good boyfriend. Often we consider our value by how well we're doing life. Am I doing well in my exams? Oh, I'm good. Am I doing well at my job? I'm good. Our value is seen as high when life is going well. But it also means if you go like this, that every mistake you make, every time you hit a pothole in the road, your, problem, your value will go down. Your stock value, if you like, will plummet pretty quickly. As Christians, we ought to be deriving our value and our sense of self-worth from the doctrine of salvation by grace. We should be looking at the cross to know how much we matter and how much we're truly worth. Because when you understand that God's only son died for you, not because of anything you've done, what can anyone say to you? What can anyone say to you? Call me a name. No, no, call me a name. Call me a name, Chris. No, good on you. Sorry, that's put you on the spot. So I only asked you, because if I asked somebody else, they might do it. But, um, but you can call me whatever you like. You can do whatever you want to me, but you can never rob me of my value. Because if I just go back to the cross and say, how much do I really matter? How much am I worth? God thinks his only son nailed to a cross. No one can rob you of your sense of self-worth if you get it from Jesus Christ. This morning, don't bind your sense of self-worth to your job or your relationships or your health. But go to the cross and see how much God values you. Second thing we can take away this morning is that anyone can be saved. It's almost... um, it's almost prophetic, James, your uh, poster. It's never too late. Because actually, um, with God, it's never too late. Because of his grace, it's never too late. If we saved ourselves by our works, then lots of people it would be too late for. Some of you here, if I said you have to earn your salvation, you would say, it's too late for me, I've done too many bad things. And you'd be right. But when it comes to salvation by grace, even the worst human being could be saved even on their deathbed. It's not too late. The devil loves to whisper to God's people, now you've done it one too many times. God's had it with you now. That's it. You're out. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You can do it over and over and over, but if you're genuinely sorry and you repent of your sin, God's grace always comes to you. And finally, it liberates us from the tyranny of hollow religion. I really wanted to read you a story from the Old Testament, but I think I've run out of time. But so many people trust in the church and the structures and the meetings and the schedule and the calendar to save them and make them right with God God is not impressed with our church diary what God wants is true faith in people's hearts when you realise that you're released from going through the motions and the guilt of missing something or the guilt of not doing it very well because you know you're saved by the grace of God and you can actually get to enjoy God If you find yourself um, finding church on a Sunday morning a bit of a struggle, or you find coming to a prayer meeting hard work, because I'd rather be doing this, maybe you've got the wrong end of the stick. 
Because if you realise that you get to enjoy God here, enjoy God there, enjoy God in your connect group or in your personal time of prayer, then you've got a good grasp of God's grace. If you haven't, if you still think you're earning your salvation somewhere, then those things become a burden. And they're not meant to be a burden. They're meant to be a blessing. And salvation by grace means we put away hollow religion and get to enjoy the living God. So let's pray as we sing our final song. Perhaps we just sing one, Julie. That's all right. But just before we sing, I'm going to ask you just to shut your eyes for a moment. And um, if I can find my £10, let me hold it up. This is Jack's £10. This is twice I've put his money where I shouldn't. Um, But let me hold this £10 up. And just imagine, you can shut your eyes now if you want, but just shut your eyes and just think of you. Are you a clean, crisp £10 note this morning? Do you feel screwed up? Has something happened at work this week? Do you feel dirty? Are there things you've looked at, maybe on the internet, maybe things that you've thought about this week that shouldn't be going through your mind? Maybe the things you've done that you know have uh, broken a commitment you've made to somebody somehow. Maybe you've completely ignored God all week. Maybe this is the first time God and you have been in the same room together. Pardon the expression. Maybe there's something from the past that just keeps coming back and telling you that you're worthless. Or maybe you just feel that you're not good enough for God. Just remember that £10 note. Just have that £10 note in your mind. Because it's not that God doesn't care about things you've done wrong or what's happened to you. That he's able to forgive you. He's able to clean you. So I want to say a prayer over every single one of us before we sing our final song. And just say amen if it's for you. Father God, each one of us here, Lord, feels crinkled up. So often we feel dirty. So often we just feel rubbish. So often, Father God, we we fall into the trap of thinking we've got to earn your favour. Lord, we can never earn the unmerited favour of the living God. We thank you, Lord, that the cross of Christ wasn't a mechanical way of being saved from our sin. It was a beautiful expression of the heart of the living God. Father God, may we fall in love again with the cross of Christ. May we know again, Lord, our true value isn't bound up in how well we're living our lives, but how close we are to you. Father God, may we seek first your kingdom. May we not find our value in our job or our house or our bank balance, but only in our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you love the world so much that you offer us salvation by grace, not by works. Lord, there is only one way to God, and it's through the grace shown at the cross and faith in Jesus. May we spread that message to everyone that would hear. And I pray for any here this morning, Lord, who feel rubbish, May they know, Lord, that every time they call themselves rubbish, they are using an expression that you would never use of them. May they know, Lord, that you love them, not because they're worth loving, not because they're brilliant or great, but because you just love them. And that's the end of it. And I commit everyone here to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.